Well, this morning we turn our attention back to the Gospel of Luke, and if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Luke again, chapter 1, picking up where we left off last week, starting in verse 26, and we'll be in verses 26 through 56 today as we continue waiting for Christmas. This morning we're going to see the young girl, Mary, visited by an angel, Gabriel, now for the second time, and herself receiving news of a baby that is to be born. And somewhat unlike Zechariah, our friend and brother, who we saw receive a word from Gabriel last week, Mary will display, uh, uh, in response to Gabriel, not a, uh, not a spirit of questioning of, how are these things going to take place? I need some sort of word. I need some sort of sign to show me that these promises will come true like Zechariah. No, not like Zechariah. Mary will instead display a personal faith and trust in the God who is faithful to his people as she receives the announcement that she'll give birth to the Messiah. My hope and prayer is that as we look at Mary and her interaction with Gabriel and then her visit with her cousin Elizabeth, that we would, like Mary, as a result of of bathing ourselves in God's word this morning, that we would place our humble faith in God who proves his great faithfulness to us. Would you stand with me as we read God's word from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26 and continuing through verse 56. There, the Gospel writer Luke continues. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And God bless us as we read his, uh, and study his word together this morning. You may be seated. From a somewhat longer passage, we'll find two simple things this morning as we continue waiting for Christmas. We find faith and faithfulness. Let us look first at, <clears throat> look first at the faith of Mary. At the faith of Mary. We said Mary is not like Zechariah in the passage before, who when he hears this word from the angel, he questions how this will take place. And he wants a sign to, to uh, give him some sort of assurance that what the angel has said will happen, will happen. Mary responds differently. Mary says, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. We see Mary responding with great faith. And we learn a few things about faith from Mary in this passage. First of all, faith is trusting even when you may not understand. Faith is trusting even when you may not understand. In verses 26 through 33, the angel Gabriel appears in dramatic fashion for the second time in this first chapter of Luke's gospel. This time to announce another baby that is on the way. But in this case, his announcement is not to an old barren couple, but to a young, just barely engaged virgin girl. Now, you know that marriages in this day were almost always arranged between the parents of the couple to be married. Joseph's parents would have worked with Mary's parents to come up with an appropriate dowry price to be paid. And as soon as Joseph paid that price, he and Mary would have been legally engaged to be married. Now, to end the engagement was almost as legally difficult and arduous as as a legal divorce would have been. Mary was likely only 13 to 15 years old and, as she herself says, has never been intimate with a man, not even with her fiancé. So this news that she is going to have a baby would have had to have been shocking news to her. She asks, understandably, in verse 34 of the angel Gabriel, she says, How can this happen since I am a virgin? Angel, Gabriel, you, surely, you serve at the right hand of God. You know how these things work. How? Notice even in her question, the faith that Mary exhibits. Her question is not like Zechariah's question. How can I believe this will really happen? Her question is totally different. Mary is not questioning what will happen or God's will for it to happen Merely the logistics of how this will come to be. Even though Mary may not understand how God's word will come to pass, she still believes. Hear her words in verse 38. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Hebrews 11 chapter 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By this very definition, Mary has plenty of faith. Faith is trusting even when you may not understand, but faith is also believing, specifically believing the promises of God. 
The story of faith in Scripture is probably nowhere more vivid to us than in Genesis chapter 15, when old, childless Abraham is promised a child by God. And this promised son to Abraham would be the beginning of innumerable offspring for Abraham, the blessing of all nations of the world through this son, and ultimately, This promise from God to Abraham would be seen as one of the first clear promises of God to bring a Redeemer and a Savior to the world. Genesis 15.6 says that Abraham believed God and God credited that that faith in his promise as righteousness to Abraham. In this angelic visitation, Gabriel tells Mary that the child she will bear will be named Jesus, which the gospel writer Matthew tells us, uh, uh, tells us that it means the Lord is salvation. He will, be the, he will be the one who saves his people from their sins. Gabriel tells Mary that this Jesus will be great, that he will be called Son of the Most High God, that he would reign on the throne of David, his ancestor, over a kingdom that would never end. All of these things that Jesus will ultimately be are fulfillments of the many promises of God, beginning with Abraham in Genesis 15. And we see here that Mary has believed these promises all her life. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. And now with this news from Gabriel, she believes them all the more. Faith is trusting even when you don't understand faith is believing specifically the promises of god we see also that faith is praiseworthy trusting someone else to do something they have promised to do is praiseworthy now there are many interesting things about mary's meeting with her cousin elizabeth but perhaps the most interesting thing is the way that elizabeth praises mary's faith After testifying with the conviction of the Holy Spirit that Mary is to be considered blessed, not because of who she is, but because of who she is pregnant with, Elizabeth says in verse 45, Blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Those people in Scripture who are most highly praised are those who trust God, who believe His promises. Hebrews chapter 11, again, is filled with examples of these who, who even before Jesus was born, who trusted God and his promises, even when they could not see them. Jesus himself says to Thomas, who doubted Jesus' resurrection until he saw the risen Jesus with his own eyes, Jesus says to Thomas, he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Friends, this is how God works with us. He makes promises in his word, most of them related to salvation from sin. And then he asks us to trust him, to trust him that he will bring about his promises in his perfect timing. I pray that we might know the joy of trusting God for his promises like Mary did. I pray that we would. Faith is trusting even when we don't understand Faith is believing the promises of God. Faith is praiseworthy. It is good to trust God. Finally, we see from the faith of Mary that faith moves us to worship. Faith moves us to worship. Our passage this morning closes with a psalm from Mary called the Magnificat because in it she magnifies the name of the Lord. Her psalm is a fairly uh, straightforward psalm of thanksgiving. 
She praises the Lord, gives thanks to Him. She gives thanks to Him for the things that He has done for her personally. She gives thanks to Him for the things that He has done for His people. And then she ends with sort of a collective call of worship and praise to God. But why is Mary so thankful? Why does she break out into this song of thankfulness? I think it is precisely because of the fact that her faith is now made real in the promises of God. When Mary thinks on how God has looked on her with grace, how he has been merciful to his people Israel for thousands of years, how he has rescued them from their enemies, how he has exalted the humble, we read all of these things in her song, how he has filled those who are needy for him, she is moved to worship. But did you notice how her song ends? It ends with thankfulness for the faithfulness of God Not just to her, but to remember his long-trusted promise to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers. This is an old promise that God is fulfilling, Mary says, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Faith in God and in his certainty to fulfill his promises, leads those who are faithful to worship. Dear friends, let us worship God in our hearts for the faith that he has made real at Christmas. Let us find space to worship, to praise God for his answered promises to us at Christmas. In 1906, the poet Lawrence Hausman wrote a poem called the Virgin Mary, and in it he writes this. Portal of the world's salvation. Lo, a virgin, pure and mild, humble-hearted, high in station, form of beauty undefiled, crown of earth's anticipation, comes the mother maid with child. Hear the serpent's power subduing. See the bush unburned by fire. Gideon's fleece of heavens imbuing, Aaron's rod of bright attire, fair and pure and peace ensuing, spouse of Solomon's desire. Jesse's branch received its flower, mother of Emmanuel, portal sealed and mystic bower promised by Ezekiel, rock of Daniel's dream whose power smote and lo, the image fell. See in flesh so great a wonder by the power of God ordained. Him whose feet all worlds lay under in a virgin's womb contained. So on earth her bonds to sunder. Righteous from heaven, righteousness from heaven hath reigned. Virgin sweet with love o'erflowing. To the hills in haste she fares. On a kindred bestowing blessing from the joy she bears. Waiting while with mystic showing time she, time the sacred birth prepares. What fair joy o'ershone that dwelling called so great a guest to greet. What her joy whose love compelling found a rest for Mary's feet. When the bliss of time foretelling, lo, the voice and word did meet. God most high, the heaven's foundation, ruler of eternity. Jesus, who for man's salvation came in flesh to make us free. Spirit, moving all creation, evermore be praise to Thee. Let us worship God in our hearts for the faith that He has made real at Christmas. We see the faith of Mary and the many things that it teaches us about faith and trusting God for His promises, specifically His promise of salvation. 
But we see also in this text before us this morning, not just the faith of Mary, but also the faithfulness of God, the trustworthiness of God. And we find two aspects of his faithfulness. First, we find that God is faithful to lift the humble. God is faithful to lift the humble. Mary, this poor servant girl from Nazareth, is a humble and faithful servant of God. There is nothing in her that makes her specifically worthy of exaltation to this position of bearing the Lord Jesus. Nothing in her that makes her more worthy or or meriting more of God's favor other than the very grace and sovereign choosing of God. But in her humility as a servant of God, because she is lowly, because she is humble, because she knows that her right place in the world is serving God, because of this, she is lifted, lifted by God out of his grace to a place of blessedness in this wonderful part of God's redemption. She goes from being a a poor, quiet girl in Nazareth to now the mother of the Lord. And she herself recognizes this, that God lifts, he exalts the humble. She recognizes this in her song when she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. God's exaltation, his lifting of the humble, is most beautifully on display in the death, resurrection, of the child of Mary's womb some 30 years later. This baby in her womb, Jesus by name, who is the very Son of God, will grow to live a sinless life, to die on a cross in the place of every sinner, and to be raised from the dead, so that whoever might turn from their sin and trust in Him would be saved from their sins and made right with God. Jesus is the promised servant of God that the prophet Isaiah spoke of 700 years even before his birth. God says of this servant that by his wounds we shall be healed of our transgressions. And that this servant in Isaiah 52 verse 13 shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. In the New Testament uh, says of this Jesus in his death and resurrection. Paul writing to the church at Philippians in chapter 2. He says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus himself, the exalted servant of God, said to his disciples in Luke chapter 14, he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God has not made himself God of the rich and the powerful and the famous and the well-to-do. He is God for the poor and the weak and the lowly and the humble. 
Mary was all of these things. And God shows his faithfulness to exalt the lowly by lifting this poor, unknown teenage girl from the backwoods of Nazareth to a place of great honor in his plan of salvation. Now we know that we do not worship Mary for the way that she was exalted. We don't worship Mary for the role that she plays here. But we do, like Mary, worship God for his constant lifting of those who are humble. God is faithful to lift those who are humble, to exalt those who are uh, lowly and poor in spirit. We see also that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. God is faithful, trustworthy, to make good on his promises. Now, we could spend the entire Advent season on just this point of God fulfilling his many promises from the Old Testament in Jesus' birth. In fact, we did that just last year as we looked at Christmas through the lens of the several covenants that God made with his people through the Old Testament. Just briefly this morning, though, we revisit this aspect of God's faithfulness once more. We saw last year, and we review this morning, the five covenants that God makes with his people in the Old Testament. The first is a covenant with Noah. It was a covenant not to destroy the world uh, ever again by flood. We saw in that covenant with Noah, that that story of Noah's life and his deliverance through the flood, that where Noah's obedience causes himself and his family to be saved, Christ's obedience to die as a substitute for sinners provides salvation for all who find themselves united to Christ by faith. In Christ's death, he endures the flood of God's wrath for sin. And as those who were in the ark were saved from God's wrath against the sinfulness of man, those who find themselves in Christ will be saved from God's wrath forever. God made a second covenant with his people through the father Abraham. There in Genesis 15 and 17, God promises Abraham offspring that will outnumber the stars and that will bless the nations. This promise that Mary herself remembers in her song of praise to God. It's hard to know what old childless Abraham thought of God's promise that the nations would be blessed through him, a man who had no child yet. But one thing we can know is that through Jesus, there is not one nation, tribe, or people group that is excluded from God's plan of salvation through Jesus, the son of Abraham. God makes a third promise with his people at Sinai, Mount Sinai, after the Israelites have been brought safely out of slavery in Egypt. There at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with his people through the law and the Ten Commandments to be their God and for them to be his people. The law of God, we saw, reveals our sinfulness and our need for redemption. We are not holy like God is holy. We learn from the law and the Ten Commandments that Jesus, our perfect mediator, conceived in this virgin womb that sheltered the growing fetal Messiah and birthed him in a stable so that as a grown man, having never broken God's law, he could die for sins in our place to bring us forgiveness, to present us to God as holy and blameless. God makes a fourth covenant with his people, with the King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises his servant, David the king, a descendant who will rule on his throne over an everlasting kingdom. At Christmas, God's covenant king was born, bringing God's eternal kingdom to the earth. And Jesus reveals and displays for us now God's perfect love and faithfulness to the world. You saw that even in Gabriel's message to Mary about the kind of child she would have, about who this son would be, that he would sit on the throne of his father David and rule over a kingdom that would not end. 
God makes a fifth promise in the Old Testament to his people that he fulfills in Jesus. Promise of a new covenant. A a, a new promise-based relationship. In Jeremiah 31, God makes a promise of a future new covenant where he will write his law, not on tablets of stone, but upon the flesh of the hearts of those who are faithful to him. And that God himself will make his home in the hearts of his people through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. God's own spirit living in the hearts of those who trust in Christ. The blood that Jesus will shed on the cross is the blood of the new covenant. Inaugurating a new day where the Holy Spirit of God will not come and go from people, but permanently dwell in the hearts of those who trust in Jesus. The fulfillment of God's promises. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. So when Mary praises God for remembering what he spoke to Abraham, she is also calling to her own mind and to all the minds of those who know God and the many promises that he has made. All of these significant covenants, these promises that God has made and that now in the, the conception and the soon to be birth of the Messiah that God is gloriously fulfilling every single promise that he made. Amen. God is faithful. So dear friend, place your faith Place your trust in God who is faithful at Christmas. That may seem like a really abstract kind of application from this scripture to put your faith in God who is faithful at Christmas. But I can't think of a better application than to be like Mary who placed her faith in God who is faithful to his promises. We do find ourselves currently in increasingly cynical times, don't we? Over the last 50 years, public trust among Americans has plummeted. We distrust government, the media, corporations. We even distrust our neighbors, it seems, more and more with every passing day. Now, to be fair, we have a lot of good reasons to distrust some of these institutions. Most obviously would be that they often make promises and guarantees that they cannot deliver. Governments promise lower taxes. The media promises unbiased coverage. Corporations promise lower prices with better quality and better pay for their employees. But friends, God is different. He makes good on his promises. He doesn't make empty promises he has no intention to fulfill. He doesn't make promises just to get you to vote for him. He makes promises that he intends to make good on. He is faithful to come through. God never fails. Though it may seem long in coming as the thousands of years did for those Old Testament saints who waited on God's promises, He doesn't leave them high and dry. He fulfills them perfectly in Christ. So dear friends, place faith and trust in God this Christmas as the one who is faithful to send the King, to send the Redeemer, to send the child He has long promised. I know that what I'm asking some of you to do this morning, to place faith in God, is a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do, to trust God when no one else seems to be trustworthy. I know that it's against your nature to do this. It may rake against your built-in cynicism to believe even a pastor like me could be genuine about this invitation to trust God. In a world where you can't trust anybody, why trust a pastor? I'm not today asking you to suspend disbelief, to enjoy a fairy tale. I'm not asking us to go to a theological Disneyland where we just pretend like mouses can, mouses, mice can walk and talk and 
have conversations with us. I'm not asking us to suspend disbelief, but I am asking you to suspend your cynicism, to suspend your skepticism in order that you might trust the God who is true. Trust, as the Bible says, that He loves you and cares for you. Trust that He has dealt with your sin, your rebellion against Him through the death and resurrection of Jesus, His Son, born at Christmas. Dear friend, you who struggle in a cynical world to believe, to trust anything, I invite you today, don't suspend disbelief, but suspend your cynicism and trust Jesus, the promised King, as Lord of your life to save you from your sin and to save you from death and to save you from hell itself. Trust that God's promises are true. Trust that his promises are answered in Jesus. And trust, even like Mary, that his promises are redeeming enough to rescue you from the consequences of your sin and the separation that all of us have with God apart from Christ. Have faith this Christmas in God who is faithful. Let us pray.